for giving the praise he is worthy of. Hallelujah, Jesus. We exalt the name of Jesus tonight. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. That means the name of Jesus is greater than my pain. He's greater than the name of my disease or my affliction. He's greater than the name of any enemy that can come against us. There is no other name under heaven given among men that's greater than the name of Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. The Bible says when he comes back, he's going to have written on his vesture and on his thigh a name that no man knows. Wouldn't you like to know what that name is? I believe I have some insight into that, but I don't know for sure. I just personally believe it's going to be compound name, just like the compound names of Jehovah, but it's going to be a compound name using the name of Jesus, but that's just me. Don't quote me on that until God really tells me and he's not going to. Isn't he great? You know God wants to talk to us, right? He wants to speak to us. He wants to talk to us. And uh, hopefully he's going to do that tonight. Very important district conference is going on right now, and tomorrow uh, in the minister's session is the first district conference we have missed in many years, but Brother and Sister Williams have uh, resigned from district superintendent, actually Brother Williams, but they serve together, uh, so there we are going to be electing a new superintendent in the morning, and it's a big decision, big, big decision, <coughs> yeah, well, so we need God mind, because whenever you get two or three people together, there's politicking going on, and this favorite and that favorite, but what we want is the mind of God, and Justin was teasing me, I think it was him, that when you don't go to something and they vote, you have a tendency to get elected to stuff, but I have no, no doubt about it, most people in this district don't even know my name, which is fine with me, so uh, we want the will of God, right, so you're going to be praying, I've been praying for several weeks now. God will use the brethren to choose the, the right man to lead us uh, into whatever future God has for this district. We're one of the fastest growing states uh, in the country, in the union. Uh, it's not just retired people either. It's uh, business people, professionals, young married couples that flock in here. And so we want to be able to meet that need with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ushers, would you come? <clears throat> if you've ever been in a church service when they took an offering and you didn't have anything to give, but tonight you do, enjoy. Be cheerful and thank God that he has blessed you enough that you can give in the offering. Let's pray right now, Jesus. We feel the presence of the Lord in this place. And God, we desire a great move of your spirit among us that you might open our understanding to the things we're going to talk about tonight. Of course, we ask that you will bless the offering that we give, for it's just our substance according to our ability. But you can multiply it, and we have some tremendous needs facing us, and we pray you will meet those needs. By blessing this tonight in Jesus' name. God bless you. Let's give and let's worship as we do.
bless you tonight. Thank you for the sanctuary that we have to worship you in. Thank you that this church is now debt-free. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. I want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We'll read a couple verses and then you can be seated. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Then he said, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Lord bless you tonight. You can be seated. Of course, this is lesson two of uh, a three-part series uh, on spiritual warfare, uh, talking about, we'll get into this black book here in a few minutes. Uh, and hopefully you're going to be equipped for the challenge of spiritual warfare prayer. I heard somebody say that when you're fighting devils that you should not be afraid. I completely disagree with that. Uh, it is one of the most frightening, it is the most frightening thing I've ever done in my life. Uh, when you are literally uh, being attacked by demon spirits, uh, many demon spirits at one time, your skin will literally crawl, the hair all over your body will stand at attention. It's very frightening. Uh, so you say, well, you shouldn't be afraid. There, this, yes, you should, because that's your response. A soldier doesn't run into the heat of battle uh, because he's not afraid. He's just courageous. He just overcomes his fear or her fear and accepts the challenge that awaits them on the battlefield. So if, if you're feeling some fear, if you have been uh, praying against some of these things and some of these entities have been coming against you, don't feel like there's something wrong with you that you feel this fear. Uh, just don't back down from it. Don't give in to it. Stand up uh, to these spirits and, of course, you will win the victory. Uh, the trials, tribulations, and spiritual battles of uh, a Christian can be extremely difficult and challenging when a person has a prayer life. However, when a person does not have a prayer life, then uh, the normal trials and tribulations, as there is something called normal, the rigors of life, the challenges of life, the struggles of life, the things that we go through. If you don't have a prayer life, it can be daunting. It can even be overwhelming. You ever wonder why uh, people backslide? I've never known of anybody that ever backslid that had a prayer life. Because if you have a prayer life, God will catch you and speak to you and, and help you uh, to overcome whatever challenge that you're facing. It's important, therefore, that we emphasize a couple things uh, here that going into lesson two, some things we might have alluded to a little bit in lesson one. But before engaging in spiritual warfare, if you remember, <coughs> we uh, said that it's very important that before you do that, you build an altar. Now, of course, we don't build an altar out of wood or stone, but we're talking about building an altar. We're talking about establishing a prayer life. You have to establish a prayer life. I'm not talking about as after you prayed three consecutive days and you're not used to praying, you've established a prayer life. No, I'm talking about establish a very strong, vibrant, healthy, and consistent prayer life before you ever start uh, praying spiritual warfare prayer or you will regret it. Uh, you will wish that you had prayed beforehand. What is also important to remember is that when God's people uh, begin to challenge uh, the forces of darkness, demon spirits will always, I mentioned this last week, they will retaliate, but they will always retaliate and attack the church at its weakest point. It will, they will always attack the prayerless or the cold, the lukewarm, uh, the indifferent, 
those that are not engaged in spiritual things. If you're, if you're on the periphery and the church is engaging uh, the prince and power of their city, you need to brace yourself because they're going to attack the weakest ones before they ever attack the strong ones. It's just the way that this works. And so Paul exhorted Timothy and all believers and told them to fight the good fight of faith. This is a battle. This is a fight uh, for our eternal lives. Paul said that you may lay hold on. You may get a hold of it. You've got to fight for it. You're going to wrestle for it. If you think that uh, nobody uh, struggles in their spiritual life, you're wrong. Everybody struggles because the flesh doesn't want to cooperate. The flesh wants to go one way, and your spirit and soul wants to go another, and and that you can't separate, so there's a battle that goes on right there. But uh, it's a fight. It's a battle. And you cannot fight that fight without a prayer life. You can't fight that battle and lay hold on eternal life without an altar in your life. And so we stressed also that prayer is the theater. When they talk about war, they talk about the theater of war, Afghanistan, Iraq, different places in the Middle East where we have been, uh, it's a theater where the battle is actually fought. You're not going to fight the battle between your ears. You're going to fight the battle in prayer. That's where we war. That's where we duke it out. That's where we do what we do uh, in uh, taking dominion over demon spirits. As we stated in Lesson 1, demon spirits are organized. They don't just flight around just without direction or without commands. They're echelons and orders of authority and command within uh, the kingdom of darkness. And so these demon spirits are organized and they're active. They're very active. They're not dormant. They're not, they're not on vacation in Hawaii. They're actually doing everything they can do within their power, within the structure of their power and authority that God has given them to destroy mankind because God loves man, loves people. God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. And so spirits want to destroy what God loves. And, of course, God has a special affection for his church. And so demon spirits will always try to destroy the people of God uh, because when they destroy a child of God, or a preacher, someone who was saved, and that is a trophy for the devil. We're also uh, fighting against spirits in our nation. I heard uh, just uh, on the way to church that uh, there is one union organization that's supposed to spend $150 million to defeat Donald Trump. doesn't make any sense to me. They're, they're making more money than they ever made before. They have more jobs than they ever made before. But there's a spirit involved here. You understand that that's trying to destroy righteousness in America and bind us with uh, doctrines and, 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 uh, and socialism and communism that will literally destroy our country. And so there are spirits that dominate in those realms. We're also dealing with demon spirits in our local area. We talked about that, the Wiccan, the, uh, the Afro-Cuban, uh, neo-pagan witchcraft that's being practiced in right here in good old Lee County. And so for the most part, devils uh, want to be remain hidden. They really would rather just stay behind the curtain, so to speak, and uh, so that they can work in a way where they are un unacknowledged and then, of course, unopposed. They don't like it when uh, we acknowledge them. They don't like it when we uh, expose them because a lot of you have been fighting devils and you didn't even know it. You didn't realize that you're up against spirits. And we're going to talk about that in some detail in just a few minutes. And so the only people on the face of this planet that is able to stand up against and defeat, expose, and depose demonic spirits is the church of the living God. If you've been baptized in Jesus' name and received the gift of the Holy Ghost, you have all the power and all the authority that you need, but you still need to know how to use those things uh, to engage in spiritual warfare. So some of you may think 
that it's a little bit unreasonable, and I wanted to at least mention this. I'm sure some folks are saying, why are we doing this? Why don't we just go on like we've been going, and why do we need to pick a fight with the devil? Well, I don't know about you, but I haven't noticed that many people getting baptized or people getting the Holy Ghost. You want to know why? It's not a lack of worship or a lack of God's presence here. It's because there are demon spirits in our city that are binding people. So they can't even come and get saved. This is not about us. It's not about having better church services. It's not about having a stronger anointing. It is about souls. That's what this whole thing is about. So we're not picking a fight just so we can, because we feel big and tough and throw our chest out. We're picking a fight because people are lost, and if something doesn't change, they're never going to be saved. And so we're going to challenge, we are challenging uh, territorial uh, spirits, and we're beginning to see some things happen. Prayer before service today was very anointed and powerful. Uh, last Sunday morning in the 8 o'clock prayer meeting, there was a very strong and powerful move of God there, and there were about two or three times more people there in that prayer meeting than there normally is, and we're going to talk about that uh, when we finish here tonight. Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 43, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return unto my house from whence I came out, and when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits. There's now from one, now there's eight, right? More wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. Now, I just want to stop for just a moment. Next week, we're going to talk about angels a little bit and spirits and make, make uh, uh, some analogies there. But there are different kinds of angels. But I want you to notice here there are different kinds of spirits, more wicked. There's some spirits that are stronger than other spirits. They have specific purposes. They have, a, they have a greater anointing from Satan to do their work. And so now there's seven more, more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Obviously, it's a lot worse. But then Jesus says something. Even so shall it be also under this wicked generation. So the evil reckoning could play out not only in individuals' lives, it could, it could play out in families, entire families. It can play out, according to Jesus, in generations which could very strongly imply nations. That nations could experience what we just read concerning when an unclean spirit is gone out of someone. It can happen to a nation. I got to thinking about that, and I, I thought about America. And when, uh, when America was settled, uh, it took, of course, a couple hundred years before we ever got up to the point where we were even ready to deal with Great Britain. But when the early settlers came to America, there were virtually thousands of Indian tribes that were spread out all across this northern continent. And... When the early settlers came, they weren't all Christians, but of course the pilgrims were Christians, and so many Christians migrated to America for what? Religious freedom. To get away from the, the, uh, the religious caste that bound them in the church of, of England. And so America was founded on Christian principles. Some of the men, John Hancock was one of the men, I know for sure, his signature was really huge, right? He wasn't a Christian. He said, I don't really practice Christianity, but I believe the principles in the Bible are what we should use to establish this new nation. And so the Constitution of, of the United States was originated and written using uh, biblical principles. And so it is. But what happened? We... Uh, cast out the Indians. We cast them down. It wasn't right. We didn't do it right. Made a lot of mistakes in that. Horrific things happened to the Indians. But let's face it, the Indians worship devils. They worship spirits. There's the spirit God of the sun and the water and the arrows. They virtually worship demon spirits. If you go out west, if you've ever been out there, they have these things. They sell them. They're called dream catchers. Don't buy one of those things. 
that was used for in the occult years ago among the Indians to bring spirits. And so we virtually cast out idol worship from the North American continent. But what happened? Those spirits went and got seven more wicked than them. And that's why you're seeing what is going on in America now. The culture is literally degrading, disintegrating before our eyes. People are now beginning, it used to be under the, now they're embracing the idea of socialism and communism. It's insane. Why is that happening? Because there are seven times more spirits now that are coming back and inhabiting North American continent. And so it means we even, it's even more of a reason why we need to really engage these things and fight against them. I saw the other day in the paper, blew my mind, Cape Coral. I remember when you could not park your, your uh, pickup truck in your driveway. But we're getting to have a gay pride parade in Cape Coral. Gosh, Cape Coral used to be an old retirement community. If you don't think that we have a battle on our hands, folks, we have a battle on our hands. And so all of this elevates the need for us to be very vigilant in our prayer lives and in resisting the enemy. Where do devils come from? I'm not going to go into any great detail. Uh, of course, their devils are fallen angels. When Lucifer rebelled against God, one-third of the angels followed him. Uh, he was one of the three archangels, and uh, they were cast down to earth. Second Peter 2 and 4 says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Now, it's not literal chains. It doesn't mean that they're bound with steel chains that they can't get free. Uh, because that's the mental image we have, but what it means is their judgment is determined. It can't be changed. It can't be altered. There's no salvation for fallen angels. Uh, their end is set, is predetermined, and there isn't anything they could do, even if they wanted to do it, that would change that. Jude wrote in 1 and 6, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness, under the judgment of the great day. These fallen angels are those of whom Paul refers to in Ephesians 6 and 12. Uh, we'll read this again in a few minutes. Uh, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Let me say, if they were literally in chains somewhere under darkness, somewhere kept away, we wouldn't have to be worrying about them. The millennial reign will see uh, Satan and his emissaries cast into a bottomless pit, which means they will be free-falling for 1,000 years. There's no bottom to it. That's why it says it's a bottomless pit. They will be free-falling for 1,000 years, and I, I can't even imagine how great it will be here on the earth when uh, they have no uh, influence upon mankind. So the Bible says we wrestle or we pele against a very organized army of fallen angels who use systematic and proven weapons and strategies of war against God's people. Because of that, it should uh, heighten your interest in learning to be the best soldier that you can be. I mean, if, if, if I knew that I had to go up against someone that uh, uh, was very astute at hand-to-hand -hand combat, I think I would be trying to hone some skills, getting ready for the battle. I'd be doing some training and, and getting in shape and uh, learning some techniques from somebody so that I could win that particular battle. The word Pele is actually a reference to hand-to-hand -to -hand combat. Now, I'm going to say this to you. It's one thing to rebuke the devil that's somewhere else. I just rebuke that devil in Jesus' name. It's a different thing when that devil's standing in the room where you are or when there's spirits standing in the room where you are. It's a totally different experience, trust me. And if you're going to pray the black book, you will pray against spirits that are right there in the room where you are at times. 
you will find yourself when you develop a sensitivity to God's spirit, the gift of discerning of spirits will begin to operate in you, and you'll start feeling things when you're at the grocery store and when you're at Walgreens and when you're at Home Depot. Trust me, it will happen. So spiritual warfare is upfront and personal combat with spiritual entities that are thousands of years old. They do not share the same limitations that we share. They do not share the same weaknesses that we do. And, of course, however old you are, they are much older than you, and they've been doing this for thousands of years. And I know that this can be intimidating. It can be frightening, of course. Uh, so it begs the question, why would we voluntarily choose as a church, as a people of God, to go up against such capable and such a powerful enemy. Well, it's not our choice. It's our reality. We are called of God to withstand evil. We're called of God to push back the darkness, to loose people that are bound by sin and by addictions, by unbelief, by false doctrine, and so that they can be set free uh, and saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. So we pull down strongholds and we uh, push back against the darkness that holds our community captive. The first thing you're going to see when you look in the black book as far as technique or what you should do in, in spiritual warfare is pleading the blood. Now, there's two different areas of this. First thing, we'll talk about pleading the blood. Exodus chapter 12, 13 says, And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Now, that's the Passover, the first Passover, when they killed the lamb in each home, each family, and they put the blood on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the door so that when the death angel passed through the land of Egypt, it would not enter that house. When I see the blood, we used to sing a song about when I see the blood, I will pass over you. So the blood has tremendous significance in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. I, I remember, I haven't read this uh, recently, but uh, when... Uh, Abel was killed by Cain. The Bible says the blood of Abel cried out unto God. In another place it says that the blood of Jesus speaketh better things than that of Abel. There is power in the blood of Jesus. Amen. And so Leviticus says, 8 and 30, Moses took of the anointing oil and of the blood, which was upon the altar, and sprinkled it upon Aaron, and upon his garments, and upon his sons, upon his sons' garments with him, and sanctified Aaron and his garments, and his sons, and his sons' garments with him. If you really study this out in the book of Leviticus, the blood was virtually sprinkled everywhere. It was sprinkled on everybody. You're standing in the crowd, you're going to get blood sprinkled on you. Because the blood was for atonement. And so it was important that the blood was applied they didn't just collect it in basins and take it out of the camp and dispose of it. It was sprinkled everywhere. Before the high priest would go into the, behind the veil once a year, the blood was sprinkled on the veil, and it was sprinkled on the mercy seat in the Ark of the Covenant. The blood was very important. Revelation 12, 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. They overcame him by what? There's power in the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, we don't do animal sacrifices anymore. We don't need to. And even when they did, that blood did not have the power or efficacy that is in the blood of Jesus Christ. So the blood of Jesus is our counter agent. It's like acid to the devil. When there's no blood covering, sin is free to corrupt. When there's no blood covering, sin is is free to destroy. You understand that? The power of the blood is very effective 
in spiritual warfare. So when you plead the blood, what you're doing is you're placing a blood covering over whoever, whatever, or wherever you pray it. And we're going to be very specific with that. When you plead the blood, say, I plead the blood over this day. I plead the blood over my wife. I plead the blood over my children. I plead the blood over this person or that person. I plead the blood over our president, over America, over our church. I plead the blood over the sanctuary. We're going to plead the blood over everything because the devil cannot get through the covering of Jesus' blood. It tells you here, make a list of of people or places, the things you want to plead the blood over so that you do not miss anybody or anything. Pleading the blood is very, very powerful, very, very effective. We do not do it ritualistically. We, we do it because it's effective and because it works. But the next thing we need to do with the blood is we need to claim the blood. If I say claim the blood, we need to claim the blood as it has been applied and is being applied to your life. And this is going to get a little, little touch and go here for a few minutes, but it's necessary to touch on these things. The primary reason that we need to claim the blood, not just plead the blood, is because Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He not only accuses you, by lying to you, but he accuses you of things you actually really did, but things that are under the blood. Satan's not going to remind you of sin so that you can repent of it. He's going he's to torment you with past failures and past sins and past mess-ups because he wants to discourage you and he wants to depress you and he wants to get you down so that he can claim your soul. So he will remind us of past failures and present failures because that is one of his most effective weapons. So what this means is that we need to be careful that we do not become an accomplice of the devil. How can we become an accomplice of the devil? By accusing one another. That's the devil's job, not yours. So Matthew 5 and 7 lends us some excellent advice. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, the law of sowing and reaping very simply states that whatever amount of mercy you give others, that's exactly the amount he's going to give you. If you are harsh and critical toward others, guess what? That's the way he's going to be with you. If all you see is people's failures and their faults and their flaws and you can't keep your trap shut about it, guess what? That's exactly how God is going to respond to you because you have now become an instrument of the devil because that's what the devil does. It's not what his people do. His people are forgiving and merciful and they love one another. And if you love people, you want them to succeed and be saved. It also means that we have to trust in the mercy of God. When he reminds us of past sins, sometimes we feel like an idiot, man. Oh, my God, what an idiot I get to do. And the devil won't let you forget it. So we have to trust in the blood of Jesus Christ and in the mercy of God. If that's under the blood, the devil can't pull it out. He can't, he can't get it back out. It's written in Psalms 19 and 13, Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. If I recall, 1 Corinthians 13 says, Love thinketh no evil. So when you're thinking evil toward others and 
critical and cynical and judgmental. It's not love thinking that. So in claiming the blood, we are not just pleading the blood over things, over places, or over people. We are now applying it to our own lives. Because if you don't apply it to you, it won't do you any good to plead it. So pray things such as, I continue to trust in your mercy. I stated this before. Some of you have not been here. I uh, Years ago, uh, I had Sister Melody do this for me, do some research for me. I pulled out of Psalms 119 every prayer request in Psalms 119. And I have them in my Bible. I have some I pray on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Prayers. They have to do with repentance and, and covering of the blood and asking for God's mercy. Why do you do that, Bishop? Because I want to be saved. I, I want to be saved, and I know how ornery and ignorant this flesh can be. I haven't got my halo yet or my angel's wings yet. See, I gave her time. I was wondering if she's going to pick up on that. That's okay, sweetheart. You haven't got yours either. <laughs> but she doesn't have horns and a, and a tail and a pitchfork either, so there's something to be said of that. So we pray that God will hide us in his blood. Hide us in his blood. If you're hid in the blood, the enemy can't find you. He's looking for you, but he can't find you. And keep us, Lord, from unrighteousness. Forgive my presumptuous sins. What is presumption? We, we have the presumption of innocence when it comes to ourselves. We have the presumption of guilt when it comes to everybody else. But we have the presumption of innocence when looking and thinking about ourselves. So forgive us of our presumptuous sins, of our wickedness, and of our desires to sometimes to step out of the laws of God. Forgive us of our iniquities. Search us. Search me and cleanse me. You see, I look inside. I don't see nothing. Well, I, I didn't find nothing, God. Let's go on. God said, wait a minute. Let me take a look. And I want him to. And you should also. So there's a reason why this is very important in regard to spiritual warfare. In fact, it's probably one of the most important things that we'll teach in this short series. You have to get yourself right with God before you engage principalities and powers. You have to get yourself right with God. Why? Because demon spirits feed on carnality. It is the food of devils. It is a delicacy to devils, carnality. And they will use our carnality against us. Sure they will. And what will that do for us? It will cause us to turn on ourselves. So Galatians 5, 14 through 17 says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I know people that they must not love themselves very much by the way they treat others. <laughs> Years ago, man, I'm going back early 70s maybe. Anybody here remember the Joe Frazier commercial when he was standing looking in the mirror and slapping himself and say, thanks, I needed that? Anybody remember that? You're as old as I am. What's God? <laughs> that was a trick. That was a trick question. <laughs> love your neighbor as yourself but if ye bite and devour one another take heed that ye be not consumed one of another this I say then walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh he's talking about interpersonal relationships here for the flesh lusteth against the spirit, 
and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. While it's true that we wrestle against uh, principalities and powers, rulers of the darkness, and so on, if carnality prevails in a church, we don't need the devil. We don't need the devil. We'll pick at one another until there's no way God could move and save anybody. We don't need the devil. We will literally consume ourselves. And so we have to get right with God. I mean, let's all just admit what we're made of. God made us out of dirt. <laughs> I mean, that ought to tell us everything we need to know. We need God's help in regard to this. Carnality is enmity between God and man. Carnal well, we're fighting the devil. Our carnality makes us the enemy of God. Of course, that can't be very healthy. Since prayer is a battlefield for spiritual warfare, James has given us some rules of engagement. James 5.16, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that she may be healed. See, we do the prayer, but we don't do the confession. And, and, and I know there's, there's churches where they have had services where people just walked around and confessed their faults to one another. I don't believe it's supposed to be that personal. I believe we're just supposed to admit, look, I'm broken and I need God to help me. I have faults. I have failures. I have flaws. There are times I seem to be out of control. I need God to bring me back. You know, we need to just admit that we need God's help in that regard. And so once we all come to the, same, to the same place, now we can pray one for another. I've thought a lot about this forgiveness thing. I really don't have time to go into it, but what makes your sin any worse than mine? That I would not forgive you of something you did or said. There's only one and that's Jesus Christ, who is righteous enough to decide whether he will or will not forgive. So the atmosphere is the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. If he prays, yes. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man is very powerful and very effective. But what is the atmosphere of the effectual and fervent prayer? It's one of humility and self-deprecation. That's what it is. I thought about the pastor preached on Sunday. It could have easily been said that a broken spirit and a contrite heart God will not despise. And if we fail in this regard, how can we effectively engage the enemy and hope to win those battles? In the event you doubt this, I want you to look at an example of how carnality got involved uh, during Jesus' earthly ministry in one of his uh, closest disciples. It's in Matthew 16, 21 through 23, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. See, this is how carnality works. You feel so justified. We feel so elevated. And they call it righteous indignation. Where did that come from? It didn't come from God. He's the only one that, that can have righteous indignation. Peter was so convinced that he was being spiritual now. And you might say, if you look at this one way, you know, at least Peter, you know, was right in his heart 
he meant well. Well, you've heard the saying that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Meaning well doesn't count. And so Jesus turned and said unto Peter, verse 23, Get thee behind me, Satan. He didn't even call him Peter. Why didn't he call him Peter? Because Satan was influencing him. Jesus didn't speak to Peter. He spoke to Satan and said, Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. I would like to see the look on Peter's face. So what happened? Satan was using Peter's carnal thinking, carnal reasoning, in an attempt to dissuade Christ from going to the cross. And it got him a very severe rebuke. So if you're going to use the blood of Jesus Christ, if you're going to plead the blood, please claim the blood in your own life and let Jesus cover you with his blood, cleanse your heart, sanctify your spirit and your mind, transform your thinking, crucify the flesh so that we're not uh, overloaded with carnality and with judgmentalism so that we can have the love of God in our mix. Now, we're going to talk about the armor of God, and as I knew, time would slip away. James chapter 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. You probably heard this a hundred times or more. Then he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Of course, if you're not submitted to God, it goes right back to what we've been talking about. It won't do you much good to resist the devil. Because if you're not submitted to God, chances are the devil's using you anyway. So it's only when we're under submission to God that we're able to resist him and have him flee from us. Now, I want you to note James's careful choice of words here. He flees. Y'all worried about, about the enemy and spirits and demonic powers and spiritual entities and how am I going to stand up to them thing? If you are submitted to God, they will flee from you. They don't just back away. They don't just walk away. They don't just turn and no, they will run from you. But you have to be submitted to God. You can't be carnal and be submitted to God. You know that is a contradiction. So before you contend with or before you confront demonic spirits, you must put on the whole armor of God. Again, those were very carefully chosen words, not just the armor of God, the whole armor armor of God. Why? The armor of God is what protects us from the weapons of the enemy. It keeps us from being wounded when engaging demon spirits because they have weapons. One of the weapons that is talked about here are the fiery darts, darts that are on fire. I don't even know what it would feel like to be struck by one of those, and I don't ever want to know. Ephesians 6, 13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Number one, you have to put the armor on. You can't just assume you've got armor on. That's why we've been told to take the whole armor of God. And so you put the armor on verbally. The same way you plead the blood. You're not just going to think it. You're speaking it. We don't, we don't pray silently. We pray out loud. So we're going to verbally place each article of armor upon our body. Just like when you plead the blood, you're going to verbally put the armor on. Starting with, I always start at the top. You know, they're not listed in this particular order, but I always start at the top. Starting with the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation is to protect our head. Our, and the head is important. 
It's the mind, the brain. It's our strategy. It's what moves every other part of our body. It's our ears, our eyes. Isaiah 26.3, that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Because he trusteth in thee. Romans 8 and 6, for to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You know the difference between being carnal and spiritual? The spiritual person never thinks themselves spiritual. Wrap that around your head for a minute. Just like the humble person doesn't go, boy, I'm glad I'm humble today. You just lost it if you ever had it. A spiritual person is always aware of the presence and the insidiousness of their carnality. You got that? It's the carnal people that think they're spiritual. It's an anomaly. Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So the helmet is very, 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 very effective. The other day, several days ago, I went to prayer in the morning, and my mind was everywhere. Not on bad stuff, but just wasn't on God. And I put up with that for about 15 minutes. I said, I'm tired of this. And I verbally said, I put on the helmet of salvation. It was, just, it was like something just came down on me. And, the, and there was a shift. Talk about a shift. And all of a sudden, I began to pray in the Spirit. And, man, I had a good time in God. I had to get my mind right, see. In the helmet of salvation, the enemy was just trying to, de you know, deflect my thoughts so I, couldn't, I could not have an effective prayer time. So the helmet of salvation protects us from that. Lord, I put on the helmet of salvation. I actually sometimes, I probably look like an idiot. Tunk, tunk. I remember a football helmet had a strap, went around your chin and snapped up here so that it couldn't get knocked off your head. So you, you put it on. Let the devil see you putting it on. Keep my mind and my eyes focused on you. Let me think right thoughts. Let me view things through the eyes of the Spirit through the eyes of truth. And we're going to put on a helmet that's designed to protect our head and every aspect of our head and every purpose that God has placed in our head. Hearing, seeing, smelling, thinking, reasoning, because the enemy will come against our mind. However, there's a caveat here. You have to also protect your eyes and your mind from ungodly things and ungodly influences. Then there's the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of a soldier. This is, this is the imagery that we're given here. Protects his torso. Psalms 23 and 3, he restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Hosea 10, 12, sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy. Break up the fallow ground for it's time to seek the Lord till he come and reign. What? Righteousness upon you. The psalmist said paths of righteousness. Now Hosea talks about the reign of righteousness. Exodus 28 and 30, and thou shalt put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and Thummim. And they shall be upon Aaron's heart when he goeth in before the Lord. And Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel upon his heart before the Lord continually. So when you pray, say, Lord, I put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, the breastplate of a soldier back then covered him from the front, and it had to be literally attached and put together with straps behind his body. Now, we're not able to do that, but we, we can put on that breastplate of righteousness because uh, there's none righteous but God, and we know our righteousness is as filthy rags, and so we need to be covered with God's righteousness. And so we pray, Lord, filter everything that goes into and out of my heart through your righteousness. Let me easily be impressed by your spirit, recognizing the unction of the Holy Ghost. Ancient soldiers... This is very important. Ancient soldiers wore padded garments under their armor to protect them from the rubbing and chafing. A lot of the armor was made of metal. Some of it was heavy, heavy uh, leather. 
but they wore padded garments underneath. We wear T-shirts and stuff to protect us even from shaping of our own clothes. And so without the armor, these padded garments would have been ineffective. If a soldier went into battle just wearing the padded garment that's supposed to be under his armor, it wouldn't help him very much. Likewise, if he didn't put on the padding underneath his armor, pretty soon he'd be bleeding under his armor from the, the wearing of the metal and stuff against his skin and, and the leather against his skin. So the garments worn under the breastplate of God's righteousness is what? It's your own righteousness. You're not going to just live like the devil and, and, and think evil thoughts and ungodly things and immoral things and just put on God's righteousness and think that's going to fix everything. No. We have to have our righteousness on underneath the breastplate of his righteousness. So just because we have his breastplate doesn't mean it's an excuse to live foolishly. Loins skirt about with truth. Second Thessalonians 2.10, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. you got to love the truth. If you don't love the truth, God will send you strong delusion. Oh, i got to have this in order to get into heaven, but I really don't believe it. Well, trust me, you're not going to go anyway. It's not... It's, it's not just a ticket that's punched at the gate. you got to love the truth. 1 John 3, 18, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Somebody said, make it till you fake it. You can't fake this. Luke 12, 35, let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. The Greek word for loins is osphus, osphus, something to that effect. And it represents the organs of reproduction. And the loins are the, are the quads, quadriceps is the strongest part of the body. And so it must be protected. The expression to have one's loins girded means to be in readiness for anything, to be ready. Getting late, musicians, please. Also, because of the garments they wore, they call it a girdle. And I remember it's not the same kind of girdle my mom used to wear. I actually had a friend come over one day. This is a really strange guy, but my mom wanted me to have him over. She felt sorry for him, so I had him over. And he walked into my mom and dad's bedroom. Door was closed. He walked in on my mom while she was getting dressed. And you know how memories stick with you? I remember that boy ran out of that room, down that hallway, out the front door, and I never saw him again. <laughs> I used to tease my wife when we lived up north how she put on her pantyhose. Didn't I used to tease you, babe? It, oh, my gosh, was that funny. It was hilarious, and I won't even demonstrate for you because I want to stay married. Amen. So your loins must be girded. And the girdle was to keep the garments of the soldier so that he would be mobile. He could move about. He could run. He could be effective on the battlefield was also used to hold a sword, money, and so on. Uh, stand with me tonight. So when you pray, gird your loins with truth. Every day you need to read your Bible. Every day. Uh, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I don't have time to go into it, but it's, it's everywhere you go, you're going to bring peace. You're going to take a bad attitude everywhere you go. You understand you're, you're, you're unprepared for spiritual warfare. You can't put on the, the sandals of peace, the preparation of the gospel of peace, and have a bad spirit and a critical spirit. It's contradictory. It didn't work. So the object is that everywhere you go, you're going to bring a peaceful atmosphere and a peaceful spirit because it's called the gospel of peace. Um, so many things I don't have time to talk about. Next thing is a shield of faith. The Bible actually says above all, taking the shield of faith. 
and which means it's a high priority article of armor. And uh, I think the reason it is so important is because if you don't have faith, you're not going to be very effective with the sword because you have uh, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. You need faith that the sword of the spirit is going to accomplish what you are using it for. Uh, it's through the shield of faith that we quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. From a soldier's standpoint, if a soldier is wounded, he may have the best sword ever made by man, but if he's wounded, he can't use it. You understand that? If you're wounded in your thinking, if, you're, if your heart is sick and filled with bitterness and unforgiveness, if your body is wounded in any way, your spiritual man, you can't use the word of God because the soldier is unable to continue fighting on the field. I don't remember the statistic. I used to read about this almost every day for a long period of time about the Civil War. A little over 500,000 men were killed in the Civil War. But it was like a million and a half or two million. So I, like I said, I don't remember, but just so many more were wounded, decapitated, and their life was changed forever. So if you're wounded, you're not a very effective soldier. Of course, the last thing is the sword of the Spirit. Uh, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. It changes us, us from uh, we become the challenger. Let's put it like that. Instead of the, the devil the challenger, we become the challenger. We become the provocateur. Get your hands off my children. Get your hands off my family. Get your hands off my church. Get your hands off of my city. So we become the aggressor uh, using the sword of the Spirit because we want to see people saved and set free by the power of Almighty God. And until these spirits and principalities are bound, our city will continue to be bound. Now we're going to sing a song, uh, and before we leave, I'm going to obey the Holy Ghost in something. Uh, try not to do it, but we're going to do it anyway, so let's just sing a few choruses and put our mind upon God. I want you to really put your mind on Jesus right now, to really worship Him. Equip yourself with his presence. Let him cover you right now. Let his power rest upon you. Let his anointing be upon you. Don't be afraid to worship. Don't be afraid to give him praise. Don't be afraid to lift your voice. Don't be afraid to sing. Don't be afraid to lift your hands. Make me a house of prayer. Jesus. A house of prayer, Lord, make me a house, make me a house of prayer, a house of prayer, oh Lord, make me a house, make me a house of prayer. Some of us need that blood tonight. We need to start claiming the blood.
Get some momentum in your spirit tonight. 